Welcome to Your Security, a podcast on walking victimless in today's world. I'm Gabriel Grimes. In this podcast, I discuss how to stay alert and situationally aware no matter where you are or where you go. Hello, everybody. It is April 1st, April Fool's Day, and it's episode 38, and today is the actual 16th day of this uh long ordeal that was started in March 16th. You know, I was looking at the the numbers and I was trying to make sure that I was exactly right. You know, I was looking at the numbers, it didn't sound right. Um, I had gone off of someone else's uh, day countdown. And so I was wondering, well, when did the president start with the guidelines? You know, when, when did that 14-day guideline start? You know, and I started looking at it, I couldn't find it. I went through Google, went um, to Twitter, could not find the beginning day. So I checked and um, went back in time, in time, back to, you know, I, I, I calculated back 16 days to see when this was, or 17 days, and I still couldn't find it. And I, you know, we, we, I saw that on the leading up to the 16th of March that, Dr. Fauci and um, you know the CDC and the WHO were always talking about 14 days, uh, a guideline of lockdown, and I just could not find when the when the uh, president decided to go ahead and have that 14 day lockdown or the 14 day guidelines. It's not really a lockdown; it's just 14 days of uh, reduced travel and of response to the COVID virus. Now, the, why is it not the, a lockdown? It's because it's really not constitutional. The president cannot tell people to stay home. Uh, we, uh, we don't live in that kind of a country. Now, a friend of mine pointed out uh, in, let's see here, this was uh, a friend of mine sent a note from Albania. And he says the Albanian government has announced yet another restricting measure in in. Uh, intended to contain the spread of the COVID virus, uh, the Wuhan flu, the Chinese flu. Starting from Monday, March 30th, only one person per family will be allowed out to do grocery shopping or to run errands for one hour a day. And to do so, they will have the have to apply for a permit online. Citizens may apply via text message where they can send their ID card number and then the preferred time for running errands, and then they will get the permit on the phones within 24 hours. They can show that to the police if needed. Another way to get to the permit is also downloading the Albania app and do, or going to the website. And then um, you request a permit to go out, and the permit will be issued immediately. In both cases, whether by phone or by the online platform, people will need the Albania ID to get out. And so this is really interesting, right? So on on the surface, well, let's go back. Uh, I was able to find out that it actually is the 16th of the year, uh, 16th of March. And I did that by going to the whitehouse.gov where it talks about the COVID, uh, the coronavirus guidelines or guidance. And then you and and this is going this link will be at the bottom of the in the description when i was looking at it <clears throat> it said um on the hyperlink on the url it actually says 3.16.20 so i guess that was when it started 
But even on that list, on that website, it does not say it started on the 16th. So where is this? In any case, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that it did start on the 16th. And so therefore, today is the 16th day of the, the guidelines. And of course, after 14 days, we've gone ahead and added the additional you know, 30 days. So 14 plus 30 is 44 days. Interesting. I'm not a numerologist, but you know, 40 days, 40, the number 40 is seen multiple times in the Bible. And it's also seen multiple times in history as 40 days, 40 nights, 40 days has a significance. Now, wondering what 44 would be. In any case, I digress. <clears throat> Back to Albania. You know, Albania is offering this permit to go outside, and it makes more sense than how the U.S. is handling it in that they allow, you know, everyone can go to the, the grocery store. Everyone can go to the bank at whenever they want to. They just go because it's an essential business. Everyone can go to the to-go uh, restaurants and grab their food. And this is all fine and dandy. <clears throat> you know, looking at it scientifically, right, as a, as a quarantine type an event, if this was truly a zombie apocalypse, it would make more sense <clears throat> to let only certain people out of the houses so that it would truly reduce the risk of contagion because that one person can come back and do a complete strip down before they came into the house, sanitize themselves. They could sanitize whatever foods or goods that they brought into the house to make sure that that is also clean. Then they could wipe down the car. It, it, it just reduces the likelihood of passing a contagion into the home. But uh, uh, the, the U.S., of course, is letting everybody do everything, and it's just harder for a family to keep a contagion outside of the home if multiple people are allowed to go in and out of the house as they see fit, uh, going to the multiple areas. <clears throat> so, last, so we, you're, you're, we're talking about, you know, control. So, scientifically, it's just more appropriate to have only one person, but. We have gone into a really interesting part of this response and in that we are trading in our rights because we feel afraid of what is going on. And, and, and I'm not saying there's not a reason to be afraid. I'm sure you know, there is some concern that COVID, uh, the Wuhan flu, has shown to be lethal in at least 2% of the cases. If you look online... And you 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 calculate it all out. It's about five percent, but if you look on the at the U.S., it's two percent. And I'll get into those numbers in a little bit. <clears throat> but the point is, uh, there's a likelihood that if you get the disease, there is a percentage likelihood that you it, it will kill you. And of course, if you're older and you have a certain uh, propensities to illness or if you have a weakness in, in your in your body you could also <clears throat> more likely to that you you'd suffer a fatality but that being said um we have we're changing we're switching out our rights to we're giving away our rights to protect a small group of people and again losing one person is a is a tragedy 
I'm not trying to say it's not. And, you know, when I do crisis management training and I talk about, hey, we have to uh, be, we have to speak freely to our employees and talk about how when there's an armed aggressor or an active shooter, that a person will be shot, a person will die. At least one person will die in an active shooter. Because for the most part, the bad guy is coming in with a firearm and it's, it's, it's uh, concealed. <clears throat> it's in a shirt, it's in a bag, it's wherever it is. And when the bad guy pulls the gun, whoever's the first person he shoots, most likely is going to get shot. But he shoots at, most likely is going to get shot. And there's a high likelihood that, that person is going to die. So when I talk to people like that and I talk to the, the crisis management team, you know, people get really concerned and HR, you know, practically loses their brain. We shouldn't tell people that, you know, it's not right. And that's so not, not nice. And you know what, we can, we have to be honest. You know, you have to be honest. You have to be very, uh, we're not trying to be callous, but we have to be honest. Losing one life is terrible, but it's not the, it's not a crisis for a nation. It's a crisis for that one person. It's a crisis for the family. Uh, it's a crisis for perhaps a business unit, depending on what that person is doing in that business. But it is not a crisis for the company. And and here we have a situation like the, this virus <clears throat> where the people who are getting infected, 2% are dying here in the United States. And that is a crisis to that 2% and to their family, for sure. But it is not a crisis for the country. And yet, even though it's not a crisis for the country, we are allowing, we are giving up our rights to protect this this number. And and I know you're you're probably going to write to me and say, "Yay!" But you know, Gabriel, this is about you know how many beds we have in the hospital, and we're talking about how many respirators we have. And I, I get that, I do. And we're trying to flatten the curve. And <clears throat> but let's look at everything you know, across the board, you know, we're not like Italy. We're not like Spain. We, we, we're not, we're not having to take people off of respirators to give them to others. We're not making those decisions. And we have respirators coming in from all over to the harder hit areas, which is, you know, California and New York. And so we're, we're trying to, to lower the curve. And, and it's so interesting how you know, Fauci and other doctors that are being interviewed online, they're, they're saying the exact same thing when they're asked, well, the numbers are getting better. The, the rate of increase is slowing. So should we be optimistic, doctor? And they hem and they haw about it. And they finally say it is optimistic, but we want to make sure that everybody continues doing what they're doing because they're afraid that by relaxing this fear that people will then go crazy and contaminate more people and increase the curve again. And, and again, I get it. The point is you and I are allowing ourselves, we're giving up our rights for this virus. Now, should we be cognizant of what this virus does? Yes. Should we be realizing that the virus can kill people? Yes. Should we realize that this virus uh, that there are certain people in our society that are more vulnerable than others. Yes, we should, without a doubt. But we should be very cautious about relinquishing our rights as we move forward. And you know, I'm a security person, so and I'm and a security professional, and I'm always 
concerned about? What does that mean in the long run? You know, initially we want to take care of a security situation. Think about a company. And a company has an issue with a theft. <clears throat> well, okay, well, we have theft of ear pods, we have theft of, you know, small things, things that are under a hundred dollars. And but it's it's a it's a concern. And you have several thousands of people in the business and we have this ongoing theft that affects maybe one to two percent of the people. I've been with companies who say that we need to drastically reduce these numbers and and I'm not in disagreement. But then they take measures of putting in uh, uh, metal detectors and they start looking into people's bags and they start um, having people sign out electronics and sign in electronics. And you have multiple people involved and resources involved in addressing a situation that is very small in the bigger scheme of things. So instead of uh, addressing it probably with a policy, maybe with um, some more awareness and allowing people to be more cautious in how they use and leave their personal items on their desk, they, they employ four to five guards or more which each of those guards are $100,000 um, each. That's with uh, you know their benefits and whatnot. <clears throat> and then you have different uh, physical devices that you're going to be putting around, the metal detectors and whatnot. Then the policies and procedures around that, policies and procedures on how to do the proper searches, doing searches, uh, guards violating the, proce the processes or the policies, and how... To deal with all of those type of an issue issues, and we just get further and further down a rabbit hole. And all we needed to do was take care of a theft that was ongoing for small items in the office place. So here we are, the same same situation, COVID. We need to stop it, but is this the best way? It's the most effective way because it's quick. It's it's quickly done. But what does that mean in the long run? When this is over, when the virus is, is contained or our medical facilities will easily adjust to an increase of a COVID case, will this be over? Will they release this authority and power over us? And you know, we, we have to think about it. And then finally, I wanted to point out some, uh, not finally, but I want to point out some interesting numbers. You know, we see these numbers all the time these COVID numbers, but we need to put them into, into context. You know, worldwide, I'm looking on Google right now, worldwide, there is 882,068 cases. Deaths, there is 44,136 deaths. That is a 5% death rate. Of the people confirmed that they've had it, of recovered, there's 185,067 that have recovered from it, and so they're on their way home. I don't know. This delta is a huge delta between recovered deaths and confirmed. So does that mean that they're all in the hospital? Are they at home? I know of one person in particular who was tested uh, positive for COVID and uh, for the Wuhan flu, and guess what? She was allowed to go home. 
in fact, and she has a child at home, and she's she has an immune deficiency, immunity deficiency, and yet she was allowed to go home. She was told, go home, and if the symptoms increase, and if you have difficulty breathing, then come back to the hospital. Wow, that's interesting. Because on the news, it makes us believe that the moment you get tested and you're positive, my goodness, you're on one of these super-duper ships that are out there in New York, off the coast of California. <clears throat> you're isolated, and you're, you're one of the 100,000 cases that are lining the streets in New York, and you're, you're, you're covered in a hazmat suit because you don't want to con- you know, contaminate other people. Nope. Nope. This person was told to go home and come back when she feels worse. Well... We all know if she's infected, then she could infect other people. So what's the deal? Where what are we what are we doing anyway? We should keep these numbers in context. Now let's look at the numbers from the United States: one hundred and eighty-nine thousand five hundred and thirty-one confirmed <clears throat> deaths, four thousand eighty-one recovered, seven thousand one hundred and forty-one. So look, our numbers, the numbers in the United States, have surpassed the numbers in Italy numbers in Spain, and the numbers in China, in fact, which is interesting. Um, so what is that? Well, the, the reason that's being is because we are testing, we, the United States, we're testing more people than anybody else. Does that mean that the crime is in, does that mean that uh, the Wuhan flu is more prevalent here in the United States? No. It just means that more people have been tested. So the thought is, if everybody in Italy were tested, then we would have a better understanding of what their numbers mean. Same thing with us. And the more and more we test in the United States, the more and more we confirm who has had it and who um, has had it and are recovered and who's had it and are being or and are recovering. And that number will drive down this percentage, this mortality rate percentage, which currently in the United States is 2.2%. So what does all this mean? It means that a lot of people are concerned. And as a security professional, I can tell you, if people are concerned, you must, and I mentioned this two uh, episodes ago, if people are concerned, it should concern you as well. As a security professional, we'll know much more information than the average Joe. And we, as an, as an experienced professional, will know um, if, if the threat is truly a risk to the individual or a risk to the company. Because a threat is only as, as powerful as the ability of the person threatening to accomplish it. If a threat to go and shoot somebody, that's a threat. But if the person's never used a gun, doesn't have access to a gun, has never really you know, done anything violent in their life, then the threat is not the same as, um, as if somebody that is a uh, well-versed uh, mercenary, <laughs> perhaps, or a criminal down in the bad part of town, someone who just got out of prison, uh, a felon come, came out of prison, and that person threatened an individual. Well, that person's a little bit different. That threat is different. So a security professional will understand what a threat means. What, the, what kind of a threat are we talking about? 
And we have to be very cognizant that even though the security professional may understand what the threat is, we're not we're not dismissing the concern that the client may have or the concern that the employees may have uh, with that threat. To them, that threat is is significant, and they want to feel more secure. As a security professional, we know that they're they are secure, that there's enough things in place to keep them secure. But we want to make sure that they are so that they feel that they are secure. And so um, we have to be cognizant of that. And as we move forward, especially in the COVID uh, response, day 16, dun, 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 let us be very cognizant of everybody else's feelings as well. This high level of concern, apprehension. Yes, things are weird. Numbers don't add up. Something strange is going on in the background, but people's fear is real. People's apprehension is real, and we must pay attention to that. We must take that into account as we move forward. So finally, what are you guys' routines? How are you managing this? I'm going to tell you what my routine is, and at least the one that I hope to accomplish. <clears throat> so I wake up in the morning. I'm going to have some personal time. I'm going to do some, a prayer. I'm going to read. I'm going to catch up on emails, uh, do breakfast, and then I'm going to do business, catch up on business things, whatever that is, you know, create policies and and programs, catch up with clients. Then I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to then do some household chores, which my wife has so generously helped me identify. I'm going to do some exercise. You know, it's important to exercise to keep your mind alert. Then I do lunch. I reach out to family and friends because it's important to keep those communication lines open. Do go back and do some household chores, uh, some emails and follow-up work, and then have some family time, which is kind of strange because you're working from home. It's all family time. And finally, my nightly routine. Again, <coughs> excuse me, go to bed, uh, you know, brush my brush my teeth, wash my face, take a shower. Um, go over the things I need to get done in the next day and then turn off the lights and hit the sack. So what are your routines? I would love to hear them. And I will say adieu and until tomorrow. Remember, you are security. Do you have a story you would like to share? If you're on Anchor, then send me a message. I'd like that. I enjoy bringing you the best security hacks twice a week. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, share it, post it, send me a message, and always remember, you are security.